From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. So this is kind of like Podcast 2.0. We're trying out some new software. We've got our old microphone back, but the, the new software... It's not, I don't want to oversell it. It's not like you know, we've got this Peter Frampton effect where we're going to talk about education policy through a guitar. Or will we? <laughs> no. Uh, if you can hear it right now, that's a good sign. Yeah, it, <laughs> we it, settle for that. It may sound a little bit different. We're trying out some new software because old software isn't really working with our new computers anymore. So bear with us. But if you can hear it, that's a good sign. But what a week in education. Uh, it seems like the last three have been big. This one was particularly big. Yeah, Number of, of headlines. Yeah, to get plenty to. of bells and whistles from the legislature itself. So a lot for us to get to this week, starting with a very emotional debate that we both uh, got a flavor of this week on a uh, transgender athlete's bill. Clark, why don't you uh, get started with it because you were there for the vote on Thursday. This was pushed by Representative Barbara Ehart, a Republican from Idaho Falls, who will be in the news and on this talked about on this show quite a bit this week. Uh, but she has pushed a bill that would basically ban transgender girls and transgender women from participating in girls and women's sports in the state of Idaho. She's called it the uh, Fairness, Fairness in Women's, women's sports, sports Act. Act. And she in 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 Barbara Ehart, who is well known. Uh, for her coaching career and her basketball career, has said that she is pushing this bill to protect the rights of girls to play sports and compete for championships on a level playing field. And she said that it's important to ban uh, trans girls and trans women from participating in those sports uh, to preserve a competitive uh, level playing field for for everybody is how Representative Ehart pushed it. Mm -hmm. And the bill actually set up a system whereby if there's a dispute, someone, apparently anybody, based on testimony, could challenge uh, the sex or gender of a uh, of, of someone p- participating in girls' sports, and then it would create this situation where it would be incumbent upon uh, the girl student athlete, the, the right. woman student athlete, to basically pr- to prove their sex and gender uh, through this um, through a physical through a through a process with a physician and a note, uh, and and so it kind of got into that. Two days of emotional hearings. It started Wednesday. It continued on Thursday. Importantly and notably, testimony was predominantly opposed to the bill. The mm-hmm. uh, vast majority of testimony was opposed to the bill. There was some support for it, but majority of people, majority of Idahoans who came to the House State Affairs Committee where the bill was heard right. testified in opposition to it. And then Thursday, uh, at the conclusion of the second day of hearings, that committee voted along party lines to send the bill forward to the House floor with a recommendation that it passes. That was the Republicans supporting advancing the bill, um, while the committee's Democrats uh, tried unsuccessfully to kill it and then opposed it. But two difficult days of testimony uh, in state affairs, which is a little bit of a new committee for us. We don't always get to that one. Um, And, and, you know, just kind of sum up the flavor of the debate, because we were both there over the course of the week. Representative V. Hart's fundamental argument for her bill is that this is a fairness issue, that this is preserving fairness for uh, for girls and women participating in sports. You heard a fairness argument on the other side, saying that this uh, unfairly uh, will keep transgender girls and women from participating in sports and that it will further you know, complicate a very difficult 
life transition uh, if you're denying uh, transgender girls and women the opportunity to participate in sports. Um, you also heard legal arguments about the bill, uh, ACLU of Idaho uh, saying that they believe that this is an unconstitutional bill and that they will sue if this uh, becomes law. Um, now, but again, I mean, this was one of those really emotional debates uh, you know, where you, you know, where you had you know very powerful testimony on it. You know, yeah, for sure. Uh, Representative Ehart, again, she said she brings this bill in the spirit of, of Title IX in protecting uh, access for girls and women to play sports. But we heard from families and parents, transgender Idahoans, who said this bill is discriminatory and mm -hmm. it attacks a population that already faces bullying and stigmatization and it makes it that much more difficult. And, and they talked about... <clears throat> Pardon me. They talked about how it would create the situation where seemingly anybody from an opposing coach to someone on another team could challenge any girl's sex or gender and make them go through what they described as an invasive test to prove their gender. And, and it didn't seem like it. It did seem like if yeah, if you lose the state championship and the other coach wanted to push the issue, they could you know, issue these challenges and force girls to go through what people described as invasive, humiliating medical procedures just to prove their, their sex or gender. Um, and, and, and also importantly, uh, the Idaho High School Athletics Association and the NCAA already have policies in place that address um, transgender student-athlete participation. Right, and that came up uh, some in the hearing on Wednesday, yeah. so I'll cut in here. Um, the executive director of the IAH... SAA uh, spoke to the committee, was invited to speak to the committee, didn't really testify, but responded to some questions from Brooke Green, a Democrat from Boise. And, and the director uh, said, the policy that the state has in place uh, via rule has never been challenged. Right. There, there's never been a case of somebody questioning a student's eligibility to, to participate in sports based on sex or gender. And that policy, in a nutshell, is... Uh, for a transgender girl or woman to participate in high school athletics, uh, she would have to be uh, in, involved in hormone therapy for at least 12 months before, uh, before she could be eligible to play in, in sports. A, a transgender girl who was not in hormone therapy could not participate in, in girls' sports. She would still have to participate in, in boys' sports. So that's the policy that's in place. Uh, my understanding of it is that it's fairly similar to the policies that are in place at the NCAA level and the International Olympic uh, Commission. So this policy, as proposed by uh, Representative Ehart, would be quite a departure from what's already on the books uh, at the state level and beyond. Yeah, people said that, you know, because of the existing policies in place. They said this is a bill that is doing harm just by being introduced. Uh, and that it appears to be a solution in search of a problem because, as you mentioned, people pointed out that this has not happened in the state of Idaho where a student-athlete's participation uh, has been questioned based on their sex or gender. So it hasn't happened in Idaho. It doesn't appear to be an issue in the state of Idaho. If it were, there would already be policies in place uh, that people have agreed to that have buy-in that would address this. And we kept hearing kind of about these cases in Connecticut uh, and some other issues out of state, but nothing really talking about why this was needed in Idaho. But and this gets to something that I, you know that I found telling this week. So because one of the things that we had this week was uh, Governor Little had his yeah. uh, annual 
uh, breakfast Q&A session with reporters uh, and was asked about the various transgender bills that are before the legislature this year. And this is not the only bill, but uh, this is the one that we're focused in on the, uh, the transgender athletes bill. And Governor Little said that he felt like some of this was a reaction to things that are going on in other states, yeah. that it may not be necessarily a reaction to issues that are unfolding in Idaho. And, you know, governors never really tip their hand about where they are on you know, pending legislation. They never say, I'm going to sign this or I'm going to veto this. Uh, they, they always kind of take a wait and see approach. But he said, yeah, I'm not a big discrimination guy. So uh, to what extent that's a tell, uh, you know, leave it to listeners to uh, to parse that out. But, you know, you know what, what ha- has happened so far is that this has been a fairly partisan issue. It, it passed out of uh, House State Affairs on a party line vote. The bill was printed last week in the House Education Committee on a party line vote. If that's uh, a foreshadowing what we'll see on the House floor in a few days, uh, expect maybe another party line vote or, or close to a party line vote. And, and we'll, we'll continue to watch this process and see if it reaches the governor. Yeah, and the reason we cover it is obviously it has an impact in schools and high school athletics. And, and we don't cover high school sports a, a lot. Uh, but this does have an impact. It affects students. Affects student athletes, and it was two emotional days of hearing that probably brought a couple hundred people out to yeah. the state house uh, to share their thoughts on how on on their journey, on what they've been through, on how this might affect their family. We heard from parents uh, of young children, of young transgender children, about how they want to belong and they want to fit in and they want to build a community and, and a friend group, and how sports could help them do that. But this bill could further ostracize them. It could out people who maybe aren't out already or who are not comfortable or prepared uh, for the scrutiny that their peers or uh, opposing parents and coaches could place on them. So uh, a lot of emotional testimony will continue to follow uh, the bill. It is next heading to the House floor. Uh, Always difficult to speculate on legislation. I would think it would have a good chance of passing the House floor and then we will see what happens? If you need to get caught up, though, we did have coverage both on Wednesday and Thursday at the homepage, www.idahoednews.org. If you want to hear from some of the families who would be affected uh, on both sides of the issue, uh, there were some people in favor of supporting the bill, and there were many people opposed uh, to the bill, and, and we tried to capture that as accurate as we could. That's on the homepage, but that was only really the first half of a big week for Representative Ehart, who was back on Friday making headlines I caught it in the House Education Committee. She introduced a new rewritten version of her sex ed opt-in bill, uh, which was defeated in 2019 in the Senate Education Committee. Representative Ehart was back this morning with a brand new rewritten version. Uh, It's similar to last year's, but a little bit different. Uh, It still requires parents to opt-in their children for any discussions uh, on you know, human sexuality basically Mm -hmm. is some of the language in the bill. Uh, It goes on to define human sexuality. And then it it leaves in place the existing opt-out procedures. Uh, And Representative Ehart said that's because if what they're teaching in school conforms with state law, then there's no need to opt in. But if it goes beyond that, then they do have to opt in. A little bit of a confusing like a bill. Area. How do you dis- d- decide what uh, complies with state law? I met with Representative Ehart after the committee hearing on Friday, talked about this for about 10 minutes, and I asked that question like four different times. 
What if we have a situation where a principal or a teacher is saying uh, this is perfectly acceptable, this fits within the existing state definition of sex education, therefore it's permissible and we don't require the opt-ins, versus what if a parent says, I disagree, I think this is crossing over into sexual activity and sexual intimacy and some of the things that Representative Ehart talked about, therefore we do need the opt-in. And I kept asking about what happens if there's that disagreement, who makes the final controlling decision. Eventually, Representative Ehart told me that ultimately she feels that it would be the parent, that this is a parental rights bill. That's not specifically spelled out as such in the bill, um, so I don't know. But that was again introduced on party line vote in the House Head Committee. Republicans supported it. Democrats immediately tried to kill it on the spot, rep led by Representative John McCrosty, a Democrat from Garden City, and uh, that was unsuccessful. And so that was introduced. That clears the way for that bill to return to House Education for a full committee hearing, uh, which would, we expect would attract a lot of people uh, and a lot of strong feelings. And I guess it's important to go back through the context. Yes. We covered this bill last year, but the existing situation in the state of Idaho is sex ed is offered in the state of Idaho, and there's a law on the books right now that allows parents of children to file a written permission slip opting their okay. children out uh, if they're not comfortable with them participating. We've heard from school districts and school officials last year who've said that the ones that we've heard from, including the Idaho Falls School District and Representative Ehart's home district, said that we have existing policies in place and they feel we feel like they are working. If a parent objects to this material, they can opt out. This new bill would sort of flip the procedures so that if you wanted your child to participate in any instruction having to do with human sexuality, you would specifically have to file paperwork specifically opting in. Mm -hmm. And so the concern about opponents of the bill is that if this succeeds, it would greatly reduce the participation levels of sex ed across the state, is what their concerns would be. And they're saying we I already have... From last year, there was a concern that this would create a lot of paperwork for the schools yeah. to deal with because now you would have you know, many, many times more opt-in forms than you have opt-out opt -out forms, forms, assuming that most parents would, would opt-in. So... You know, I anticipate that argument may come up again this time around. Yeah, and Representative Ehart was very clear to me that her bill, when it talks about discussions of human sexual activity and human sexuality, that extends beyond just sex ed. She said that would extend to an English class, social studies class, anywhere where that material could be encountered. And so I asked her, what about Romeo and Juliet? What about the classic Shakespeare Shakespearean play. I believe it's been a long time since I've read it, but I believe there's a love scene in that. She said, no, that's a classic. That's not in there. That would be allowed. She said what would not be allowed, uh, and anybody who really closely followed the standards debate will remember this, uh, but she talked about the book Dreaming in Cuban, yes. uh, which the members of the Blackfoot School Board raised a concern about. It didn't appear that book had ever been, and that was a National Book Award finalist, uh, but it didn't appear that book was ever read in Blackfoot schools, but it was on a list of books that a for-profit curriculum provider, a company basically looking to sell books and, and stuff to school districts, recommended had recommended this could, fit within, this could fit within your curriculum for Common Core. Uh, so Representative Ehart said specifically that book would not be allowed. That's what she had in mind. So this goes beyond sex ed. Um, it includes the definition of human sexuality, 
and it has the opt-in provisions. It leaves in place the existing opt-out provisions if the material complies with state law as it's narrowly focused on human anatomy and the reproductive system. But I, I, I imagine there'll be a healthy debate uh, yeah. when mm-hmm. this comes back for a full hearing. It sounds like it will come back, at least in house education, for a full hearing. I anticipate a healthy debate. I think it could be another packed hearing where we'll hear from parents uh, who have concerns and we'll hear from education officials about the existing policies. But and another uh, controversial hot button issue in that house, yeah. uh, you know, in the House Education Committee, just on the heels of that you know, extended debate over academic standards. And, and I was out with some friends last night, and they asked, how come we're seeing all these controversial bills right now? And I think I have an answer, and I think it's a really simple answer. It's because for the first five or six weeks of the legislative session, the legislature, particularly the House, particularly the House Education Committee, was really expending a lot of time and resources looking at administrative rules and the academic standards and the repeal of the standards that we've covered the last several weeks. And so they were told to hold off on the legislation until they had that in hand. We're now at that point, which is why I think we're seeing all these bills seemingly coming out in the last two weeks all at once. I think it's just a function of the way the session began is why we're seeing this all at once. But here's the rub moving forward. Uh, It is uh, February 21st as we uh, record this podcast. Legislative leadership is serious about trying to adjourn the session in four weeks. And they're not making any secrets about it. And they're working hard. And you see the Senate working hard, clearing its calendar and rolling bills. You spoke with House leadership, I believe, about Mm -hmm. this, and they're not making any secrets about it. So you get down to a point in the session, and I don't know when that point will arrive this year, but it it, it arrives every year where, you know, the legislature gets down to a fairly short list of things that they have to do to get out of town. And then other things fall off the table. Budget bills, for for example. Um, You you would think that the grocery tax... uh, you know, is going to be resolved in one way or the other. Something on property taxes, maybe uh, in some manner. Um, transgender athletics, uh, sex education, those are not necessarily going to be the kind of issues that keep this legislature in town. Uh, you know, Representative E. Hart is, is very passionate about these issues. Yeah. And, you know, her passion about transgender athletics comes from her from her, you know, experience as a high school uh, as a high school athlete, college athlete, college coach, I think she's heartfelt about all of that. But you know, this is not going to be an issue that the legislature at large decides we have to resolve in order to go home, because you don't have to address this issue right. and pass this bill to go home. So at some point in the not too distant future, you know, legislation of all kinds, not just education issues. Uh, you know, legislation that, you know, is not mission critical may just get set aside. You know, you know time is starting to, you know, it's starting to run out. Hard to believe, as, you know, as you said, you know, it feels like we've had all these bills introduced just in the past couple of weeks. But, you know, we're probably, you know, a few weeks away from when this session could adjourn. I'm not saying when it will adjourn, but theoretically it could adjourn in four weeks. And and so if a skeptical listener or reader was saying, how do you guys know? How do you know that? I'll point to two examples. We're transitioning from budget hearings to budget setting. That has already happened. Which we'll get to We'll get to that in a moment. That's a key distinction. We also sent the first half pages home last week and have the second half pages here. And so I think, how do you know? How do you know they're working to this? Number one, you spoke to House leadership. But number two... The budget setting process 
really drives the length of the legislative exactly. session. And we've transitioned. We've reached a key milestone about a week ago uh, where we transitioned from budget hearings to budget setting. And we're going down that track right. now. And that track is going into the station as opposed to going away from the station right. And at if this the point. legislature has one job every year, it's to set the budget yeah. and to, to pass the budget bills and to figure out how much money uh, state agencies are getting. That's the thing they have to do. And, and you were, exactly, you're starting to see the transition. And, and that's important and that's significant. And, and it kind of drives where we're going to go here in, in the rest of this uh, podcast because, you know, we're, you know, how far are we into this podcast? We're 20 minutes in and we haven't even talked about a $225 million proposal to raise teacher salaries, which in any other week would be uh, where we would have started the, the conversation. It's, but you were there Wednesday morning. It's wild. One of maybe the biggest education bills of the year with a huge fiscal impact over a five-year time period was kind of quietly, low-key introduced yeah. in the House Education Committee on Wednesday. Yeah, a, a soft opening, if ever there was. Yeah, and this is uh, Governor Little and his staff are calling it his top priority of the year. Uh, if you missed it, it's his proposal to raise teacher salaries for Idaho's most experienced effective veteran teachers. What it is, we got our first look Wednesday. It's a five-year, $225 million plan to increase salaries for veteran teachers and to create a, new, uh, create a new rung on the career ladder, a third rung above the existing residency and professional rungs, and create a new endorsement. It would also create a new accountability system. And there's some teeth in there that uh, yeah. are looking to ensure that teacher evaluations would be accurate. Uh, this was introduced as a courtesy uh, on a unanimous voice vote from the House Education Committee on Wednesday. But in terms of ambition and stature and time frame and political will, this is similar to the 2015-era career ladder law, which was the $250 million five-year plan designed to raise teacher salaries and really make the teaching profession more attractive uh, to potential candidates and teachers. This is right up there when you talk about ambition and cost and fiscal impact and political will and, and, and impact. It's right up there with the original right. career ladder. And the debate on this has literally just started because, oh, yeah. as you mentioned, uh, legislative committees almost always print a governor's bill as a matter of, of courtesy. The real hearing will come in the not-too-distant future when this comes back before House education. and and. I think there's a lot that the committee is going to be unwrapping as it decides what to do. And this is an unpredictable committee, as we've kind of alluded to in past uh, weeks here. Uh, I'm going to be really interested to hear kind of what the committee says about uh, signing on to the first year of what would be another five-year commitment to uh, to increase teacher pay. Um, you know, we have a $30 million dollar impact for the a, next year. A, and then a $30 million dollar hit that be. That becomes the first year of a five-year plan. And that's and in the governor's budget. Uh, so that that in itself is not a surprise. It, it's built into the budget, but, you know, I think, you know, some legislators may be enthusiastic about uh, starting the next phase of uh, a plan to increase teacher pay and, you know, willing to go along with an incremental plan because there isn't $225 million sitting around waiting to be spent this year. You may have some members of this committee enthusiastically supporting the idea of increasing teacher pay and just saying, let's, let's just do this, let, you know, let, let's help school districts and, and charter schools keep their most uh, experienced teachers. You may have other legislators saying, well, didn't we already do a five-year plan for teacher salaries? The accountability metric that you mentioned, 
it'll be interesting to see how that plays with committee members. Does it go far enough? Does it go too far? Yeah, does it hit the sweet spot where there is an accountability uh, metric involved here? Yeah, very unpredictable committee and, and a very big proposal with multi-year implications. So I think it's almost impossible to handicap what happens in that committee when it gets uh, when it gets its hands on this bill next time around. Yeah, and this is rooted in that task force. Really, the governor's staff pointed out it, it, it kind of comes from both task forces. I believe it was originally governor, former Governor Otter's 2013-era task force that recommended a career ladder paying out forty, fifty, and $60,000 tiers. Uh, the 2019 Our Kids, Idaho's Future Task Force made a more specific recommendation uh, to increase pay, build up the career ladder, and benefit these veteran teachers. Uh, so that's where it's coming from. It came out of the task force. The governor has embraced it. Uh, he uh, had the budget <laughs> in his state of the state address, and then this is the specific plan that we saw unveiled Wednesday. But this is a committee house education that has proven that it's not beholden to ideas coming from that task force. Not as we at just all. saw last week when the one million dollar idea about social emotional learning came before the committee when there was so much pushback. Confronted with a five-year 225 million dollar proposal, uh, I, I think there are members of this committee who are not going to uh, kowtow to uh, a task force and they're going to you know be skeptical about the idea, maybe even more skeptical because it's coming from the task force. I've had, I've had members of House Education tell me that they're skeptical and unconvinced when it comes to task forces and interim committees. And so we'll see if, if that plays out. I wrote two big articles about it. It's a little bit of a complicated bill, 11, 12 pages. It kind of addresses a handful of different things. And so on Wednesday at IdahoEdNews.org, back at the homepage, uh, there's the original story laying out the bill, and then on Thursday, I had more of an in-depth look, maybe more interesting if you're an educator, about right. what would it take specifically to get this new endorsement? How do you get on the new rung of the career letter, the advanced professional rung, they're calling it, and then once you land on that new rung, what are some of the performance criteria to move up the career letter and earn even more money? Um, but it's interesting. What this bill would do is, right now, existing law caps basically state payouts for veterans teachers at $50,000 a year. And I talked to the governor's staff, and you've got teachers who are maxed out who have been teaching for nine years, and then you've got teachers who are maxed out who've been teaching for 20-plus years. And they're mm -hmm. all together on that last cell, the professional rung, capped at the state payout of $50,000. This new bill, if passed into law at full build-out, uh, would bring state payouts up to, I want to say, $63,000. Right. Yeah, right. uh, and so the, if you're having an idea of where would this money go, what would it do above and beyond the status quo, uh, that's what they're looking to do, bring those payouts up from about $50,000 to around $63,000. And interestingly, it also includes two new salary guarantees that are designed to ensure if you land on the higher rungs of the career ladder that that money actually makes it into your pocket. And so that's going to be above and beyond the minimum salary requirement that's the only one that's in state law right now. Right. So that piece was on Thursday talking a little bit more about how do you get the endorsement, how do you move up on the career ladder, how do you prove your criteria, what's the accountability look like for school district. That's all in there on Thursday. Kind of an insidery type piece, but this is kind of an insidery type bill. No, and, and I think it was a good 
step back piece that you did on Thursday to kind of explain how this process would work because you know we were starting already to hear from educators wondering okay how do I do it yeah you know show me the process that I would be looking at if this becomes law so we tried to uh, to tease that out when I said we you uh, tried to parse that out and, and help people understand how this is going to work the royal we becomes like, yeah, the royal we the royal <laughs> podcast we everybody knows that but really good stuff there this week, uh, getting uh, people up to speed about where this bill, uh, where this bill stands, how it would work, and obviously we'll watch it closely. We'll wait to see when uh, House Education takes it up next. Absolutely, we mentioned the Joint Budget Committee transitioning yeah, yeah. from budget hearings to budget setting. You sat in for a little bit of that budget setting this week. Uh, what it's, budgets did they look at, and, and what happened? Because well, it's kind of interesting. Well, one really big budget that they looked at the higher education budget, and that came up on Thursday morning. Interesting debate. Uh, not a lot of difference in terms of the dollar figures. I mean, really, in the, the context of a, a budget that includes about $600 million of general fund, but also dedicated funds, a host of other funds for, for, for higher education, the, the committee was talking really about $2 million worth of line items. But it gives you a sense of where this committee is, is you, know, you know, where their psyche is on higher education and on higher education budgeting. In the end, the committee pretty much passed out uh, Governor Brad Little's uh, proposal for, for higher education with a couple of additions. Uh, the, the committee decided to put a little bit more money into uh, a line item that's called uh, enrollment workload adjustment. And what that does is it gives extra money to colleges and universities if their enrollment is increasing, i.e. Boise State University. Yeah, right. But the way that this was structured was that uh, it, it was built out in a way that, you know, while Boise State would get a pretty significant chunk of money uh, reflecting their ever-increasing enrollment, if you did this as sort of a zero-sum game, uh, University of Idaho, Lewis Clark State College, and Idaho State University would lose money. Um, so some healthy debate within the committee about whether to hold those three institutions harmless or whether to just, you know, go with the budget as is. And you had uh, a couple of lawmakers, Wendy Horman and uh, C. Scott Grow, arguing, you know, it's, it's, it's time to just, you know, go with the governor's budget. And the governor's budget did not hold the schools harmless on this uh, enrollment uh, workload adjustment. The committee voted to keep the institutions harmless. And they also voted to put some more money into what's called occupancy costs. And this basically uh, covers uh, building maintenance and upkeep. And the mentality of the committee and the will of the committee was that we have four new university presidents. Uh, we have a couple of new state board members. We have a working group, including the presidents, including the state board, including the governor's office that are meeting right now. And these meetings are kind of taking place behind the scenes trying to figure out what a higher education funding formula should look like in the long term. Something more sustainable, something more long term, something more in keeping with where higher education is today and going forward. The committee voted to add a little bit of money you know, to kind of smooth out that process to say, okay, we've got new presidents, that they, they're trying to figure out a new funding approach. Uh, they, they recognize that something has to change, but let's give them a chance and let's give this process a chance to work. And that was the prevailing vote out of the Budget Committee. Noteworthy that that, uh, that, that budget with these increases 
passed over the objections of the leadership of the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee. Uh, Scott Baer, uh, the... Uh, Steve Baer. Steve Baer. Why did I say Scott Baer? That's okay. This thing is C. Scott Grove. Yeah, yeah. Steve no big Baer. deal. Thank you. We got it. We're back on track. Um, he voted against this proposal. Uh, Wendy Horman, the House Vice Chair, uh, Dan Johnson, the Senate Vice Chair, both voted against the proposal that passed. Uh, Rick Youngblood, the, hi- the House Chairman, was, was absent for the vote. But the rank-and-file members of the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee voted for this budget. That's kind of an academic point now, because now that budget is going to head to the House and the Senate, and you know, barring a, an insurrection on either the House floor or the Senate floor, that's the budget that will go forward to, to the governor's desk. So yes, again, we're starting to see this process beginning in the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee as it pertains to education. The public school budget hasn't come up yet. March 3rd is the target date for that and that's you know we have unanswered questions before they get to that we have a huge unanswered question because of that uh, teacher salary bill we just talked about in in the previous segment um you know and budget writers kind of like to know where these bills stand before they start to fold money into the budget to reflect that i mean you know they're going to want to know is you know is the 30 million dollar first installment of this salary plan likely to become law and is it something that they should factor into the budget? Other unanswered questions, and I alluded to this in, in a story uh, earlier this week about literacy. Yeah. You know, there's the $3 million uh, request. Well, it's a $26 million request, but the nut of the request is uh, Governor Little wants $3 million of one-time money made permanent. And that's a question that uh, JFAC is going to have to figure out when it takes up the public schools budget. Um, what I did this week was I took a closer look at a um, Boise State study of the literacy program, uh, an analysis of where the uh, literacy program stands right now, kind of underscores that it's a work in progress, a lot of unanswered questions. One of the big questions now is how are kindergartners doing on this new uh, version of the uh, Idaho Reading Indicator? So those that's another unanswered question for this uh, committee to figure out, uh, you know, based on what the committee knows right now, do they want to commit to $26 million for literacy and make it $26 million of permanent money? What do they do with the teacher salary issue? What do they do with social emotional learning when there's been some backlash in the House Education Committee? So there's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts um, in that budget and a lot that we'll have to kind of you know sort out between now and March 3rd and you know beyond March 3rd once that budget uh, comes out assuming that they're on schedule and they actually get to the budget on March 3rd. And that may be, you know, that may be an optimistic schedule based on what's going on with the, the teacher salary bill. We'll a lot see. of questions still to answer over the next two weeks is what I take away from that. Yeah, definitely a lot of, a lot of questions. And next time I see Steve Bear, <laughs> I may have to ask him a few of those questions. Yeah, It's been a week. It, it, it sure has. Um, it's been a week. And You know, we have some big bills that we're following. We'll continue to follow the salary bill. Uh, We'll continue to follow the sex ed and transgender athletics bills. Oh, by the way, we haven't really uh, heard much about the new funding formula bill since that was introduced in Senate Ed a couple weeks back. And so there are a lot of big proposals out there at this point, and we're going to see what starts coming together or what doesn't. Uh, And so still a long way to go this legislative session. Education issues are very much front and center in the mix, very much unresolved. 
at this point. So I guess uh, we don't get to go home yet. We no, still have our work cut no, out for us, huh? It's four weeks, maybe. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, certainly four weeks would be a very busy four weeks if they get uh, done by by then. But well, there's a lot, uh, lot still to sort out here. It's certainly aspirational. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as always, thanks so much for joining us on the Extra Credit Podcast. We had a lot of fun breaking down this ever-complicated intersection, education policy and education politics. I'm sorry if it sounds just a little bit different this week as we expand and, and, and work with our new software. Uh, it was something we really had to do uh, in order to keep the podcast sustainable and keep it going. Uh, we were using free software that just wasn't working with our laptops anymore and so we've upgraded and I'm still we're still figuring it out a little bit so I'm sorry if it doesn't sound quite right or if it's not quite the way you're used to hearing it um, we'll try to get better every week and we always do try to focus on the content and in our coverage uh, and try to do as best we can with the production and how things sound um, but we're doing our best and thank you so much uh, for continuing to follow us and join us on all these discussions. We have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast, and uh, we hope you learned something and that you enjoy it as well. Uh, but as always, thanks so much. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week. <laughs>